they showed true leadership. Anyone can be a leader when the when everything's going well, when the economy is going well, when the sporting team is going well, when the the company is making massive profits. Anyone can be a leader at that point. But it's once the profits start going, once the team starts losing, or the economy really hits that that rock that and starts sinking, the true leaders step up and they, like you said, it's they're giving they're constantly giving they're giving of themselves they're giving of ideas but they're they're leading the way as well and that's what everyone needs at this point is you, you can see it whether it's in family groups the families that stay together really have that that mother or father that steps up and takes the family by by the scruff of the neck and says i'll support you we're gonna get through this Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO podcast, we speak with a former cage fighter who creates mindset shifts from boss to coach and is a keynote speaker on improving workplace vitality. He has a diploma in fitness, health and physical education and fitness from Fitness Institute Australia and has been trained by the Speakers Institute. His five steps towards improved vitality snap, nap, tap, clap, and recap have been developed over years and years of trials and tribulations working in sport, fitness, and business. It's an absolute privilege to introduce to you a family man from Sydney who takes things to the extremes by pushing his body to the absolute limits, is a proud supporter of Fighters Against Child Abuse Australia and once broke his arm, in a professional arm wrestling competition in the USA. David Lindsay. David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Craig. I'm, I'm honored to be on here. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you here in Canberra. Um, normally we'd be doing this um, via Zoom, but uh, we are physical distancing in Canberra today, which is really exciting. But the last time we caught up, we were both volunteering at a Speakers Institute boot camp in Sydney. Uh, you're in the middle of preparing for your first boxing fight. Uh, boxing fight, you know, hasn't life changed since then? It's it's really really changed. That night was the night that I had the weigh-in, so I actually had my first professional boxing match the following day. So that was on a Friday that we last caught up, and then went in and had my boxing match on the Saturday. So I was in the process of cutting weight. I wasn't really nice to be around because you know when you're in the process of stepping into the cage or into the ring and ready to punch someone in the face and get your, your own face punched in, you have to switch mentally. And you do that a few weeks out, but I, I still had fun and I enjoy being around with the Speakers Institute and with people such as yourself there that really make it a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's good times. And just watching people transform. I mean, it's, it's both our lives, we're yeah. both coaches and, and work with a lot of people. And so just, just seeing that change is uh, mm. phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, and change so quickly as well. From Friday, they walk in, they're sheepish, they're shy. You get a few extroverts out there or a few people that are really putting it on. But then you see them morph from Friday through to Sunday. They're completely different people when they walk out of there. And that's really what I know you love seeing and what I love seeing as well is the impact that we can have on people's lives and how quickly they can really change and it all comes down to mindset in every element. No, it certainly does. So talking about mindset, you know, how have you approached COVID-19 and what has kept you busy over the past few months? Yeah, well, like with everyone, it was a shock when it first happened. Going from the face-to-face, -face, being able to talk to people in large groups, um, having meetings, simple meetings in a boardroom, in a meeting room where you could have five or six people there. It's just... You know, it took a week or two to really hit home. And luckily that in, in Australia, we're lucky that we're in an island. So that it's really, we, we got through it a lot quicker than we thought we would. We were told originally that 
to expect for it to be six months. But three months down the track, we've had to change a lot of our processes that we do. So people being able to go on Zoom calls, being able to still have that face-to-face connection and to create systems to allow people to still be productive whilst working from home. Whereas a lot of people, they'd never been in that situation before. Their home life and their family life, or their home life and their work life were two completely different poles. But yet during COVID, they've, they've been smashed together and really sitting back and being able to come up with systems to help people work through that has been tough. But whenever tough, tough situations come up, that's when your real personality rises to the top. The people that are good that want to really push through it, they're going to rise above. People that are going to sit back and feel sorry about it and cry, why me, why me? You're just going to hear more of that. So it really separates people. You can see the cream. It really rises to the top. And I love bringing the people that aren't so much the cream, really getting them to turn themselves into cream to rise to the top. Yeah, so we're going to talk about leadership a bit later on and mm-hmm. kind of some of the things that have happened over the last sort of few months that we've seen in that space and and obviously for you dealing, how you coach people through um, that resilience aspect, you know, the mm-hmm. highs and the lows of life, not just COVID. Yeah. We'll go back a couple of steps uh, here. You know, where did life start for you and how would you describe your childhood? My childhood, it was... I was active. I was always outside at the park. I started playing soccer when I was four, started playing t-ball when I was about six. I was always very active and I'm a middle child. So I guess you can say that I've got the classic middle child syndrome. My brother got everything. My brother's older than me. My sister got everything because she was a princess. She was the baby of the family and I just had to slug it out. And I I play that with my family a little bit, but my life was good. I wasn't the biggest child growing up. I still obviously aren't. But what I've always done is I got my first weight set when I was nine because I was bugging my parents from when I was about seven. We went on a family holiday and I just saw these big athletic guys and I thought, man, that's what I want to be. I want to be like that. And it was actually Serge Nugent who who was a big black bodybuilder and he just had the best physique that I'd ever seen. And he was doing an ad for a for weights and I begged my parents for, it took me about two and a half years, two years to finally get my first set of weights for Christmas. Um, and with that, I just haven't looked back. My whole life has been structured around sport, around fitness, and I love every element of it because you can't change what you are, but you can change what you become. Like, and it's, all of my steps, they come from my life in fighting. They come from my life as an athlete and as a coach. And the reality of being, being able to bring that to the corporate world, to the real world, to even families, being able to coach their kids, being able to coach themselves, their families, their wives. It, to me, it all revolves around sports. And that's what I, I just love it. I really do. Yeah, brilliant. So, you know, for me, I know you as this really humble caring positive and giving person and then you have this real competitive side which (laughs) which includes being involved in you know physical contact sports were you the aggressor or united nations in the playground at school i definitely wasn't the aggressor i was i was i'd say that i was a competitor to really flush out any if there was a fight going on well then it'd be a challenge for a race we wouldn't have the i've the school that I went to, it was really a, a school where fights were not common at all. We'd have probably one fight in, in the year. And while I was at school, I never got into a fight. And a lot of it came about because I was quite a small guy. But when I started playing rugby league, I was a tough guy on the field because of my life of training. I was stronger than most people. I was fitter than most people. I was faster. And that really gave me respect that I didn't really notice until I was in year 11 or 12 I just thought it was normal that kids in year seven and eight, because I could go anywhere in the school and people would talk to me. I thought that was common, but it turned out that I was the only kid in the school that could do that with confidence as well, go around and yeah, using sport to really bring people together, not push people apart. Yeah. And, you know, so who was your greatest influence? Uh, You know, you talked about the bodybuilder early on, but who... When we talk about you know actual your sport through your teenage years, who had that greatest influence on you 
really stepping up to the big time in as an athlete? Well, to start off with, it was when I was 13 or 14. I was, I'm from the Cronulla district, and I got picked up by South Sydney to go and play in their junior rep teams. And it was a big step. It was a, a massive step out of my comfort zone. And I remember having a conversation with my stepdad where he was the one that really got me into playing football. I was always uh, competitive playing soccer, but he could see that I wanted to play rugby league. So he got me into that. And it was a conversation I had with him where he said that I could have stayed at Cronulla and I, I would have got paid more money if I had have stayed at Cronulla. But all of the pressure would sit back on me and it would just be given to me as well. I'd be given the captaincy. I'd be given this position. I'd be given that. And he goes, why don't you go to this team that's going to push you? Because as we all know, like in your world, in anyone's world out there, if you're comfortable, you're not growing. You need those people that are constantly chomping at your heels, that are really trying to push you to, one, take your position. You need that element of fear of if I don't perform, my position's going to get taken from me. So I decided to go across and play with South, and it was crazy. The first... I still remember it like it was yesterday. The first trial match I went to, I was 50-odd kilos and I was going in at lock. And there was a guy in the grandstands who, I, I thought it was with his little son and it was actually his little brother, but he came into the dressing rooms and at first I thought, oh no, what have I got myself in for? <laughs> this bloke was massive. And I went, he has to be a front row and man, I'm not going to be able to tackle him. And then he put on the 5'8 jersey now, was close to almost putting my, my bag on my shoulder because he was the first guy that I saw. And man, I'm just, I'm in the wrong game here. This bloke was over 100 kilos playing 5'8". I was 50 kilos playing lock. And luckily I stuck it out because him and I became really good mates because what happened was the first match he tried to run over top of me and I tackled him by myself. So that sort of gave me some leverage with him that he respected me he knew that I wasn't going to take a step back being aggressive and being smart as well so it's being aggressive being smart and being tactical about it really gave me gave him my respect and me his respect so from there I, I played with South so I suffered a couple of knee reconstructions which as you, you know, do <laughs> yeah at, yeah at 17 years old I snapped both my medial and uh, cruciate ligament in a tackle which put me out of the game for for six months I came back bigger at that point as well because whenever you have an injury in any sport as you'd well know you don't sit back and let the world go past there's always something to work on and with me it was putting on size so I went from I was 17 at that point I was 70 odd kilos I got up to 90 kilos and I was as strong as I'd ever been and that allowed me to go back and play football and then I suffered a second knee reconstruction, which at the age, ripe old age of 22, that put me out. Huh. And then, like, like we spoke before, I'm a, I'm a competitive guy. <laughs> and it, I was still big at this point. And this guy came up to me and asked me if I'd ever tried arm wrestling as a sport. And I went, man, what are you talking about? Arm rest I've done it for, for drinks with mates at a bar. And he goes, how have you gone? And I go, when I do it, I don't buy drinks. And he just laughed and goes, I want you on my team. So from there, I got into arm wrestling and actually realized that there's technique to it. And my grandpa, he was a wrestler as well. So it's competitiveness it comes from both sides of my family. And he was, he's given me trophies from New South Wales championships. So he was a really good wrestler. And he goes, why don't you use your whole body, not just your arm? And I just threw it off and didn't give it a second thought. Until, like you mentioned earlier on, that I snapped my arm. And it, it wasn't actually in America. It was on my way to America. It was in Corfu, in a little, little island in Greece. So I snapped my arm and it was actually like a loud snap because my ribs were rested on the bar and I turned my body. It was bad technique. But I got the bloke down and he just had his wrist cocked up and he wasn't giving it to me. So I turned my body and it just went just like a, a piece of wood getting snapped. And I, at first, I didn't even think of my arm. I thought that the bar had broken. <laughs> and, I would, and then I looked at my arm and went, oh no, I've, I've broken my arm. So we rushed off to hospital and, and that was the end of our round the world trip because that was actually a first stop. We were going to go to Corfu for a mate's wedding, to America to some 
arm wrestling tournaments that have been set to go in both left and right-handed. I was going to go to Barbados to show off my new girlfriend, who now is my wife. She stuck with me after that. After I ruined the holiday, she stuck with me to my, my granny and aunts and, and my uncles that are over in Barbados, um, but never got to go over there. So we, we made up for that later on, but yeah, coming back, snapping my arm in Corfu, it's not, not something that, it, it gives me good stories now but it still sends a shiver down my spine. Yeah, I bet. So, you know, we talk competitiveness has come up and, and obviously you don't even need to say the word and people can, <laughs> can, can feel that. So what is it that really fuels that real strong competitiveness to come out? What's the trigger for you? I don't really have a trigger. I'm just competitive in everything. It's not like I can be easy with, like take it easy on this and take it easy on that and then be super competitive with that. I, I try and win everything I do. And some people say, and it's a, it's a flaw, obviously I broke my arm doing it, that I wasn't gonna give up. I use bad technique to use it. And even with my daughter, she's just had a birthday, she's nine, I'm competitive with her. And a lot of people go, David, you have to let her win. And I go, no, I don't. In the real world, people aren't gonna let you win. So when she beats, and she actually beat me <laughs> two weeks ago in Connect Four, and the look on her face was priceless because she knows I, I don't give it up free. So the fact that she earned that and then she wouldn't let me go to win again. We stopped then and there purely because <laughs> she wanted to leave winning and she, she's got that in her as well. So I, I love that. And it's just something, yeah, as a little kid, people call it, might call it little man syndrome. But I'm just, I don't know, I'm competitive, man. Just wide. Love it. I love it. So how, does, how did your... Your poor mum cope with a son who's just so fascinated with contact and in you know going from rugby league and then into cage fighting and, and now mm. boxing. You know, does she, does she respect you for that? Does she come and watch you, or does she? Someone's like she's like kind of one of those mums that's like <laughs> I don't want to know. Just don't tell me. Yeah, no, she. Well, I'm I'm old enough now, and she's aware that what what I do is my business, but she's still very supportive. She didn't want me playing football. She supported me through it. She was unsure about wrestling, uh, arm wrestling. She supported me through it. And by this point, though, I'd, I'd moved out as well. And she knew that I'd, like, after I broke my arm, my arm went paralyzed for four months. And when eventually I did everything I could to try and get it back, and when eventually did get back, I can't sit around. So I started doing Kung Fu, Jiu Jitsu, submission wrestling, kickboxing. And when I told her that, I was interested in fighting. She went, no, David, you've broken your arm, arm wrestling. And you want to hop in the cage and fight with people and wrestle with people? My grandpa was super enthusiastic about it, though. He, he loved it because he, he, up until he passed away two years ago, up until even then, he was still, he was competitive. And he had times with me when he'd get me in, in a position and my grandma would tell me to be careful with him. And I'd feel my jaw squeaking. And I'll go, Grandma, can you tell him to be careful with me, not the other way around? And it's just like that side of it, that competitiveness. I love the, especially man-to-man, because -man, with football, I can have the best game I want. Yeah, if the, if the winger misses a tackle and lets in a try, we can lose. But when it comes to fighting, there's no excuses. It's, did I prepare correctly? Did I, was I on my game on the night? There's no excuses and there's nowhere to hide either. So that's, that's what I love about the fighting and it, it goes across into all elements. Same as with my daughter, there's nowhere to hide in life. You can get through and go, oh, you can't touch me, but you come across the wrong person, they're gonna punch you in the face. They don't care whether the law says that they're gonna go in. So you have to be able to, first of all, notice those situations, avoid them at all costs, but be ready if, if it's to happen. Because yeah. it happens to the best of people. Great advice there. <laughs> so as, we've, as we've noticed so far, you've experienced quite a few setbacks in your in your life. You know, we talked about the two knee con, knee reconstructions, playing rugby league. We talked about breaking an arm and wrestling, uh, which led to the four month paralysis. Um, you arm paralyzed for that long, and I'm sure you've had a few broken noses and fingers along the way. <laughs> <laughs> What my good looks though, I've still got my good looks. <laughs> so what, how do you approach a setback and what do you think 
allows you to overcome those and find new success? With every, and this has been drummed into me from when I was little as well, you can't expect to win everything. If you win everything, you're never going to learn. You learn most from in soccer when you lose a game. In football, if you miss a tackle, if you injure yourself, there's a reason that you injured yourself. Have you, are you strong enough? Are you in the right position? Did you put your body in the right position? So whether it's a, and I've also broken my shoulder, I've dislocated the other one. So I've, I've had my fair share of injuries, but there's always learnings from them. With my shoulders, they're still dodgy now, so I make sure that I'm strong. I still keep training. Not just be, yes, I do love it, and I love the results as well, but I have to keep the muscles tight to keep the injuries from coming back. So learning why I got injured, learning how to overcome those injuries, and how to end up better than when you first go into the game. And that's what I've learned through this whole COVID situation as well. So many people I know, they sat down and went, oh man, poor me, man, why does this have to happen to me? And admittedly, when it first happened for the first day, I went home uh, from the gym and and I just, I cried to my wife and I go, I don't know what to do. And I closed the door to try and stop my daughter from seeing me because she was in the lounge room and the door happened to slide open a little bit and she saw me and she started pulling funny faces and Vanessa goes, asked her why she's doing it and she goes, to make daddy laugh. And then I realized it's not all that bad. It's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, short term, it was, it was, it was uncomfortable because same thing, you, when you're uncomfortable is when you grow. And I'd, I've done so much while during this COVID time and come out of it so much better than I went in. Because, you know, everyone's got excuses. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time. I don't have time. During that, we had nothing but time. And people were saying, I've got too much time. I'm sitting down thinking about it. And I go, well, when you didn't have enough time to do it, you weren't doing it. Now you've got too much time and you're not doing it. There was a couple of people that I spoke to and I went, you'd better come out of this better than when you went in. And one of them in particular was a guy who's a supervisor at a gym that I manage. And he, he got into it wholeheartedly because he said, it's accountability as well. He didn't want to let me down because he looks up to me. And the fact that I, I gave him a challenge was he wasn't going to let me down by letting himself down. And I take my hats off to people like that because in every element of life, we have choices. What choices are you going to make? You're going to sit down and eat those chips or eat the chocolate or drink, go, go on big benders and just drink and try and escape it with alcohol. Or are you going to learn? Are you going to write that book that you've said that you're going to write, but you never have time to it? Are you going to get out and try and get in the best physical shape possible so that when you come out of it, you can, your mind's clearer so that you can do more projects in the given time so that you have the energy, you have the vim, you have the vigor, you have the re-passion for what you started doing. It's choices. And you can choose to be better or you can choose to be worse. No one's the same. Yeah, it's a fantastic point in there and I was... I think it's important for people just to pause and go and, and think about it's the choices you make. Mm. Just think about that, right? It's the choices you make, not what anyone else makes. It's what you make. And I really liked how you started to, you know, you talked about people's reaction, but one of the biggest things we've seen during this time is people just want to be led. Mm. Big time. And, you know, speaking with Paul Dunn, on a previous episode, on a recent episode, and we're talking about that, you know, before COVID, everyone's talking about collaborative leadership, etc., mm. which is fantastic, and it's where you build trust and loyalty and things like that. But when it comes to uncertainty and crisis, that collaborative leadership mm. goes out the door, and it all becomes about authoritative leadership. Yeah. And those that are successful, those that have taken the initiative, has shown some authoritative leadership, whether it's in themselves or other people. Yeah. And they're the ones who have provided direction and hope and clarity mm. for other people. So it's a fascinating world where, in general, most people just want to be led. Yeah, because and it, it's the exact same as like I like to think of it as a sinking ship. The, the captain, when, when everything is going well, 
everyone's having, you know, they're, they're on the deck, they're partying, they're doing whatever. And it's same as in this economy. When things are going well, you know, everyone's partying, they're out there, they're enjoying the high life. But once, once a proverbial shit hits a fan, they, everyone, even the leaders out there are looking for someone to really gr- take it by the scruff of the neck. And that's where good captains, they, they don't go down with the ship. They manage to fix a ship and get it sailing into port. So it's everyone during this time has looked for someone to come and take it by the scruff of the neck and go, you're going with me and you're coming this way. And we've seen that in different governments around the world, those with a leader who has taken that approach mm. and it's been an, it's a giving approach too. It's a leader that gives and leads at the same time mm. that we've seen the other parties follow. Yeah. And we're, we're so lucky in Australia as well that I'm, I'm not big on politics or anything like that, but I just think that something that needed to be done quickly was done quickly in Australia. So my hat goes off to the government here because they, they showed true leadership. Anyone can be a leader when, the, when everything's going well, when the economy's going well, when the sporting team's going well, when the, the company is making massive profits. Anyone can be a leader at that point. But it's once the profits start going, once the team starts losing or the economy really hits that, that rock that, and starts sinking, the true leaders step up and they, like you said, it's, they're giving, they're constantly giving, they're giving of themselves, they're giving of ideas, but they're, they're leading the way as well. Mm. And that's what everyone needs at this point is, you, you can see it, whether it's in family groups, the families that stay together really have that, that mother or father that steps up and takes the family by, by the scruff of the neck and says, I'll support you. We're gonna get through this. Same as in sports, the teams, the, the captain that stands up there or the coach goes, don't worry about it. I've got this. Trust in what I've got. Trust in the process or that business where the, the CEO goes there, trust me, we'll get through this and we're going to get out better than when we went in. Yes, it's going to be tough. There's going to be windy roads because we don't know exactly what's in front of us, but we're going to get through this. And so talking about leadership, what you know from someone who's a very competitive you love that one-on-one going for it as an athlete what drew you to coaching and personal training it was i'd have to say it was really my wrestling coach when it comes down to it because i've had many coaches football coach arm wrestling coach baseball coach soccer coach i had kung fu jiu-jitsu all these different coaches but my wrestling coach was and it was just really a, a throwaway comment that he said that really hit me and, you know, I'm sitting across the table from me. I'm not the biggest guy going around. But in wrestling, we're on our trip down to um, the border of New South Wales. And he goes, David, I want you just to watch these boys over the weekend and how they res- respond to you and how they respect you and how they listen to me. And these guys, they outweigh me by 30 plus kilos. They're, they're big boys and they're strong. But he, the way that he worded it, was that I was a leader amongst them. Yes, he, he was a coach and we all look up to him, but when he's not there, I'd, I'd step up and take the mantle. And it wasn't a conscious thing. And it's just something that I think with my competitiveness, it, it really drove me towards that, towards coaching other people as well. Because the majority of people, they're, they're happy just to plot along, getting mediocre, mediocre results and being sort of beige. I'm, I'm not down for that. I want to get a life for myself and for everyone around me as well to be an extraordinary life. An ordinary life is just that. I want people to know that I've been here and once I've gone, for them to go, man, I'll look up to him even now. And to create that, that group around me, which led me to coaching, to, to really get everyone to raise their own standards, to raise what really is the proverbial glass ceiling. Bust through it. Yeah, bust through it. Yeah. So how would you describe your coaching philosophy? Tough but fair. Because it, and I, I sort of inadvertently led to it with my daughter. So I'd, I'd do that tough but fair. She, she's a great kid. And I'm, me and my wife are blessed to have 
um, a daughter like her where she's she's athletic, she's kind, she's smart, and for the most part, she really listens to what we do. But I'm not going to give her anything. She has to earn it because when it comes to the real world, people aren't going to just give you stuff on a platter. And yes, if she, with her training, because she does trapeze, she does soccer, she does sports that I've never, never even realized were sports until she started doing it. But if she puts in the work, I'm going to put in more work than her. So when I train people and I can see them putting in when I'm coaching them, I'm going to give them more than they give me. But they, they have to be on it with me. I'm not going to drag anyone along. It's not, that's not my job. My job is to get the best out of them, but they have to put in in order to do the same. And I'm going to meet them more than halfway, but they have to take a first step as well. Yeah, very good approach. Very good approach. I like that. Now, we spoke about in the introduction, we talked about the five steps towards vitality. So the snap, the nap, the tap, the clap, and the recap. <laughs> See it. if you can remember that one. Um, tell us, what, what's that all about? Yeah, so it, it came about with one of our mutual friends, Nick. I was sitting down with him and him and there was Nick, Sam and myself all from the Speakers Institute. And we were going through my life about what really resonates with me. And it's the, it really comes back to fighting because all my life, even before I was fighting, I was a fighter. And that's really who I am. So we looked at it and my strength in wrestling and jiu-jitsu was a lot of the sayings are about snap so you tap or snap and that means injury but the way that we look about it is creating rituals to really snap into action because when you come to the cage or you come to the ring or you come into work you can't waste 5 10 15 minutes just you know moping around you have to create rituals to really help you snap into action and that has really stuck with me and it's that's why it's part of the five steps because everyone knows how to snap into action. I just need to give them system and give them stories to really hit home to make how relevant it is, how important it is for morning rituals to really get the most out of yourself. And it all starts from not even when you wake up, but the night before, getting prepared the night before so that you're not clumsy, getting around in the dark, trying to look for shoes so that you can go to the gym. Because, you know, when it's, when it's four o'clock in the morning and down here in Canberra, it's, it's cold in the morning. <laughs> I thought it was cold up in Sydney, but down here, man, it, and you say it wasn't that cold. It was freezing this morning. But people need just any little excuse to not go out and get started and not get their rituals in the morning. So getting prepared the night before so that you don't have excuses. So you bag, pack your clothes, set everything ready to go and about what you do each step of the way. I like to use music, use positive self-talk and affirmations to really get me pumped up. There's still days when I don't feel like doing it. I don't feel like going to the gym at three o'clock in the morning. I don't feel like getting up there and being, you know, pumped up on stage. But once you get there, I'm, I'm so glad that I did because it's just turning up and doing a few steps along the way really help you get both physically and mentally in the spot ready to snap into action. And it's the days when I don't go to the gym, you know, a few hours later, I'm regretting it. So I don't want to live with regrets. So just do it. And then you have nap. We're not designed to work 24, 7, 365. And with, with our phones, we are accessible. We're designed to work in short, intense bursts. So knowing how and when to just step away from work. You know, everyone, so many people I know that they're, they're suffering burnout. They're suffering this they're just lagging behind because they don't have that energy. It's like if you were to, your bike's there behind you. If you were to jump on your bike and go for a 10-hour ride and then you stop and you have a five-minute break and then you go for another 10-hour ride, that's just not going to cut it. You're going to burn out. It's like when you go to the gym, when you first go to the gym and you, you lift those weights, you end up sore and sorry because you're ripping your muscles, you're creating damage, you're stressing your body out. Stress is a brilliant thing when used correctly. But you need to have that right time, that downtime to recover from it. And then you stress out again and then you recover. And eventually you need to up the amount of stress that you put on to get the same results. But that's what we want both physically and mentally. So that's about the nap. 
the tap is tapping and evolving, especially what we've gone through with COVID at the moment. We're not going to go back to work and do the same things. Things are going to be different. So we need to tap and evolve. You don't just go there and try and run through a brick wall. Sometimes you have to step back and there might be a ladder to climb up and over, or there might be a door just to the side, but because you didn't take that time to step back and think about a possible different solution, you're gonna just get brain damage trying to run through that wall. So that's snap, nap, tap. Clap is about celebrating. In teams, we do it all the time in sports, even in individual sports like fighting. It's not an individual sport like triathlon. It's not an individual sport. You have your coaches, you have your training partners, you have your family at home, all of which celebrate. So you celebrate not just the wins. If you just celebrate the wins, you're not doing it for the right thing. You celebrate the time, effort and dedication, win, lose or draw in order to get there. Same as in work. You're willing to do more for people that you're friends with, that you're mates with, that you care about than you are for yourself. So you celebrate the little victories, you celebrate the time and effort and dedication that people put into the work and you're willing to go above and beyond for them. And then you have recap. This is all about continuous, never ending improvement in everything you do. Like you look at tennis, for example, you have Roger Federer where he, he's the best, he's been the best for a long time, but he's continuously changing his game. You can be the best in anything, but if you just stick to that, you get, with the internet, we have access to people's diets, their training, their recovery, what they do for their mind, for their mental strength, all elements of it. So if they're going to keep doing the exact same thing, they're going to get overtaken and forgotten about. It's the same in business. You can't keep doing the same thing and expect to get the same results. If you keep doing the same thing, you're going to end up the same way that Nokia did. Because Nokia, they were continuously tapping and evolving. They had over 30% market share in the mid-90s. They had over 40%, near enough to 50%, even after the introduction of the smartphones. But they went with a Symbian system and not with an Android system. And it was that simple thing that stopped Nokia from tapping and evolving. And yes, they've tried to have phones coming out over the last couple of years. I think they're even trying to, they're coming back into it a little bit, but they're not the powerhouse that they once were because they weren't tapping and evolving. Every business, every, every person needs to grow because you're either growing or you're dying. There's no stationary. Yeah, I don't know about you, the listeners, but uh, I definitely feel like I've already gone through 12 rounds and, I've, and I'm kind of pulling myself off the canvas right now. A great approach, you know, so those five things there that we talked about of snap, nap, tap, clap and recap that's it you got just it. awesome you know like simple aspects about how you can be a more um, more high performing person and be more effective as a leader you can be a high performing leader by following those kind of steps as well to make 100%. sure that you're preparing you're planning you're out there you're doing you're getting yourself mm. into a routine um, fantastic i really like that as you made me kind of think about a routine that developed pre-COVID actually that I had started probably, where are we, February, where I, every day, it doesn't matter whether I have a bath or a shower, I always finish with the last one minute cold. Oh, yeah. And it is, it's about learning to control your breathing. It's about learning to um, wake up the nervous system, the mm. neural system fires, and it just makes you come alive. And to me, that's my routine that I love at the start of the day. Once I do that, bang, I'm on, I can do anything. doesn't matter mm. how I was feeling beforehand. That is my key trigger yeah. at the moment. I love it. Love it. <laughs> and it's things like that that are really empowering. And like you say, it, it's that mental toughness that, of the cold water. You know that you can step out of it. But it's just been there for that, that one minute, that one minute of discomfort. It sets you up for the entire day. And like you said, with breathing, and that's, and I go into more of breathing uh, in the talk, but the importance of with, with naps, sometimes it's as simple as stopping, taking a big, deep breath, and that stops you making small, yet potentially costly, both monetary and time-wise mistakes if, when you're just rushing through. It's just about being in the moment. And I, I love, I'm a bit of a wuss though. 
I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd do the cold showers, but oh, it's, it, it's tough to get used to, that's for sure. But it speeds everything up as well. Your metabolism gets fired. It's just, I get out of the shower jumping out, admittedly because it's cold and I'm uncomfortable, but knowing that you've done it. You know, what's the rest of the day going to do to you once you've, you've faced that? Oh, you're really going to enjoy it being in Canberra at the moment <laughs> with a cold shower tomorrow morning. I tell you, that'll wake you up for sure. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Well, I had a professional boxing fight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How did that go? So it, it went well. It was a good learning experience. It was because I'm predominantly a wrestler and I came up against a boxer. He beat me. I have no excuses. He, he was a better boxer. I was a better fighter, but it's all about the sport. You can be, you can be a better um, baseball player, but yet if you're playing cricket, the better cricket player is going to win. So he was a much better boxer than me. And it's, he just, that, like I'd obviously done a lot of sparring and boxing wasn't new to me. So something I've done new, I'm just trying to think. Because I, I do like trying new things, whether it's new food, new places. I, I don't like living the same life or the same life day in and day out. So I've tried a lot of things over my time. Like who would try arm wrestling? Who would break their arm over in Greece? Um, I'm just trying to think because I've done bungee jumping, skydiving. One thing I want to do that my wife actually got, got a gift certificate for me is to go paragliding. You know, we're not parasailing because parasailing is behind the boat. Paragliding is where you run off the cliff, light hang gliding, but you're under a canopy. Yeah. So that's what I want to do. Because when I was actually younger, I was going to spend my first football money on a, on a paragli paraglider with a motor on my back. Because I just, the higher I can get, the better. I just love being high. And under the canopy, when I've, when I've gone um, skydiving, I've done both tandem and by myself when you're just under there the freedom that you feel because you know that there's no motor attached you, it's just you and the wind in your face i just love it so i'm looking forward to getting that done that's the next thing i'm probably going to do you, you'll have to have you um, met shane cornell who's in yes right so he does glide to soar yeah, spoken to him, yeah. if anyone uh, gets an opportunity <laughs> to see his uh when he speaks on stage yeah, he actually has imagery of him crashing out of the sky into a mountain while yeah. he's been, oh, it's it's, oh it's crazy what his story and oh man the stuff that he's gone through you just go that's crazy yeah it's very cool what is the one question you would love to solve oh that that's a big one because there, there's a lot out there especially with what we're going through at the moment but i'm you can go, oh, I want to solve world hunger. I'm, I'm not going to say that because I'm not on a pageant to be in Miss Australia or Miss World or anything like that. <laughs> a question I'd like to solve is really for, I'm going to go quite selfish, is for me and my family, is like what's the best place for us to be? Because it's not, like if, if we can find out the best place to be, then we can work out a journey how to get there is the best place for us to be where we're located currently is the best place for us to be to sell up and move because at, at the moment it's we're living a, a good life i'm not going to say that we're not but we can live a better life everyone can so knowing where to be how we'll sort that out when we get there so that's an answer that i'd love to no doubt my wife already has the answer to that <laughs> she's just not going to tell me brilliant uh, for you, what is your definition of living an extraordinary life? Is having a big impact. Because if, if you go along and you don't make an impact to people, you, you're gone and you're forgotten. Living an extraordinary life is like your character is to almost be larger than life. The more that you can impact with people and, the, and it's not just the immediate people as well. It's like, you know, you throw that stone in the water and the waves go out. 
I don't want to just throw a little pebble in the in the water. I don't even want to throw a boulder in the water. I want to be the TNT that you put in that. And you don't just blow the water up and create that little ripple. You blow the water out. And you're not just affecting the people immediately around you, but you infect, you're affecting the entire area. So that would be my extraordinary life, is to really get around and affect people, not just locally, not just in the state, but globally. That's my end goal, to be, to live an extraordinary life is to impact millions of people. That's what I'd love to do. Oh, yeah. Aim higher. You, you can't just sit in your, in your little castle and go, this is good for me. No, I want to conquer. I want to be like the, the new Rome. I want to expand and get out there and make that impact. Why go small when you can go big? <laughs> exactly. So how can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Well, the best way at what I've done is I do have a website. It's David Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y dot com dot A-U. Um, and my email address as well is David, D-A-V-I-D at David Lindsay. And I'll spell it again, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y dot com dot A-U. But really find me on LinkedIn. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I used to do more Facebook and Instagram because that, that was more my fitness side of things. But more this holistic side of things is through LinkedIn. And I, I just love getting to meet people from all around the world. And also, you don't just get to meet people on there. You get to meet their ideas, their philosophies, and all different elements. And I love just putting it together. Because with the internet, it's not just your community now. Your community is the globe. We're one global community. And I, I just love it, learning different things each and every day. David, uh, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure, you know, listening to your, your journey, your ideas, feeling your competitiveness, <laughs> absolutely feeling it, literally. And we might be physical distancing, but I'm not sure. Um, I can feel those hits coming through. You, you can feel the passion. And I just love your energy and the way you treat life is that there's, there's no point wasting any moment. And is mm. take that opportunity, help people, help them grow and become better people. And it's not just about knowing what you want. It is something much bigger. You know, you really understand what you want to achieve and you go and you set about really targeting mm. that and making a plan and making it happen. And you've got this relentless approach, which I really, really love. I love the ideas, uh, you know, you talked about with your vitality aspects of the snap, the nap, the tap, the clap, and the recap. Look, I can you, do it without even looking. It. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when it all comes down to it, you are this real family man. And you can feel your real love and, and compassion for your family mm. and just really wanting to do the best for them. And I, mm. I really admire that in you. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, David, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> it's great you know, being down in here in Canberra. Um, obviously, a nice sunny day outside, freezing, I might admit. <laughs> it uh, looks nice. It's brilliant out here. And just making a difference to people and thank you for sharing your ideas and curiosity with the world with our listeners on the Active CEO podcast. And thank you very much, Craig. I've had a blast. Obviously, I'm smiling. I'm laughing. It's, I've loved every second. Thank you. On this week's Active CEO Performance Tip, we talk about with great power comes great responsibility. As Spider-Man once said, while sharing his wisdom, flying across the world. As a leader, you not only have a responsibility for yourself, your family and your people, but also for the industry you work in and humankind. We are not leaders if we shy away from inappropriate behavior, negative decisions, or projects that harm the environment or the people we work with. We have a responsibility to ensure that the industry we work in grows in a positive manner as the actions of the negative few can have a harmful effect on everyone. Ask yourself the question, 
are these actions and behaviors that I'm seeing in our industry moving it forward or taking it backwards? What is the consequence to human beings as a result of these action behaviors? And what can I do about it? How responsible are you as a leader? Thank you for listening to a wonderful, incredible, and impactful conversation with David Lindsay. Knock down, snap into action on the Active CEO podcast. It's important that you have really strong values inside an organization, company, or team. It's important that you have people that share those values. Because if they don't, then it's really easy for your, your company, team, organization to be diverted off the, onto, a, onto a wrong path, head down the wrong direction, um, and move away from being in sight of the vision and direction of the company or organization or team. There's a responsibility as a leader to ensure that you have the right people, the right values, in the right positions, all singing off the same song sheet, maybe. As long as they're singing off it, they may not always be in tune, but as long as they're singing off it, or they're on the same bus, so to speak, and that they're able to lead each other in the right direction to, so you can achieve the vision, so you can reach the journey. Because the last thing you need is people to be diverting other people's attention to things that don't matter, things that don't help the company, team, or organization grow, evolve, and make a difference in the world. If you need assistance ensuring that you have clarity on your values or ensuring that you have the right people with the right values in your company, team, organization, then please feel free to reach out and contact me. Craig at nrg2perform.com or click on the contact page of www.craigjohns.com.au. Thank you very much for listening today. It's been a real pleasure. I am Craig Johns. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.